All right, good morning once again. I am thankful that every week I get a chance, my family and I get a chance, uh, to gather together and to worship. There's something powerful and meaningful that happens when we worship together. Because uh, I don't know what your experience is like, but sometimes I can be uh, pulled in a lot of different directions. I can be scattered in my attention and my intention during the week. And something about Sunday morning gathering, gathering to worship, uh, serves as that recentering, that uh, recalibrating that I need to remind me uh, that, that Jesus is Lord, that God is in control of my life, of the world, of all these things, um, because it can be pretty hectic all week long, right? Um, I've, I told someone yesterday, I've had to kind of take a, a step back from uh, paying attention to the news over the past month or two. I mean, I used to like doom scroll a lot. So you know what doom scrolling is? You just like scroll through your phone and just like get more and more anxious and more and more like, oh no, oh, oh no, this is, we're doomed. Um, I've just had to step back because it's just really affecting my anxiety level, affecting my outlook on the world. It's becoming fairly dim, you know. Anyway, I want to give God priority. I want to give, uh, I want this time and I want my time in the Word each day to be uh, the primary uh, source of information, that informing source in my life. And I pray that for you too because uh, it's kind of nuts out there, newsflash, but it's kind of nuts out there. So, have this be a time where we come together and do corporately what's happening in your life individually, that you're starting your day with that time in the Word, centering yourself in the presence of the Lord, making yourself available, helping, asking Him, give me eyes to see, give me ears to hear and a heart to understand all that you're doing in the world, because believe it or not, God's Holy Spirit is still at work. As chaotic and dark as things may seem, God is still at work. Jesus is still on His throne. He's still uh, Lord of all. He's already, all power and authority is already His. His kingdom is still close at hand. And so, let's live into that truth. That is not what my sermon's about. So, um, I guess I'll get down to business. Hey, uh, this is the last week of our Our Father teaching series, our learning adventure through the Lord's Prayer, that prayer which Jesus taught to His disciples and to those gathered around Him in Matthew 6 on that hillside. Uh, today's message is called Look Up. Look Up. Uh, I'm an observer of people. Uh, I, my work, uh, my, my studies have led me into situations, into roles where I get to interact with and observe people. Uh, in my many years of observing and studying people, I have noticed something. Uh, whether it's as a pastor, as a, as a, as a father, as a, uh, in the workplace, just in my relationships, in my studies in counseling and theology and history, literature, Western civilization, uh, recreation and leisure studies, that's a big one. Um, I learned a lot about people. You've learned a lot about people. And here's something I've noticed, and I don't think this will be surprising to anybody, but as human beings, we have a seemingly endless capacity for self-absorption. Does that surprise anyone here? We have a, a seemingly endless capacity for self-absorption. We can take, here's what I mean, we can take almost anything in the universe and make it about ourselves, seeing it as being ordered and intended for us and for our desired ends. Have you noticed this too? Have your observations and studies led you to this point too? It's like, wow, we can really become pretty deluded into thinking that the entire created 
universe and the entire created order, <laughs> how about that? It's all about me. Me. All history is leading up to me and what I want. How about that? I feel special. We can turn our, our work, we can turn our play, we can turn our relationships, we can even turn our faith in Jesus into being primarily about us. We can curve it inward. We can bend it inward toward the self. Uh, and we can do that to everything, every aspect of our life, including the practice of our faith. Uh, Christianity, as we have all too often seen, it can be turned into a form of what's called moral therapeutic deism. Do you, have you heard that phrase before? Moral therapeutic deism. Uh, a false religion in which we see God as primarily a cosmic therapist. Okay, that God's primary role is to be your therapist. Uh, to, to make you feel better and to make you feel happy. I mean, that's what we want from God sometimes, isn't it? That He would come and just, how are you doing? How are you doing? You know, tell me more about that. How's your relationship with your father? You know, I mean, we want him to ask those kind of counseling, like therapeutic questions. Uh, or take it further. Uh, we would prefer God to be less of a father in heaven and more like a grandfather in heaven. There's a, a famous quote from C.S. Lewis that, that reads, We want not so much a father, but a grandfather in heaven. A God who said of anything we happen to like doing, what, what does it matter so long as they are contented? We really want God to be uh, uh, a grandfather in heaven that is mostly concerned with our, contented, our contentedness and our happiness. Well, if fun was had, that's all that matters. He wants you to have fun. That's sometimes how we imagine God and we desire uh, His interaction to be with us. But there's problems here. And the problem is twofold. You could probably say, actually, it's more like four or five or six hundred fold. But I'm just going to say it's twofold right now, just for simplicity's sake. The first part of the problem here is that Christianity is not about you. Sorry, let's just get that right out of the way. Christianity is not about you, it's about God and Him glorified. It's about Jesus coming and redeeming mankind so that God would be glorified in, in reunifying, re reconciling all mankind to Himself calling a broken and bent creation back to himself, leading into new life and new creation. Christianity is not about you. Are you an important part of that? Yes. Does God love you? Yes. Does God desire you to be his child and part of his family? Absolutely. But you're not the point. Is that hard to accept? I think culturally it is. It kind of swims against the grain, this me-centered universe. Ah, I don't like to hear that Christianity, something as important and meaningful as Christianity, really isn't about me. Uh, you mean I have to die to myself? Where'd you get that? I mean, is that like in the Bible? It is. Take up your cross and follow me. That's the thing about Jesus, the startling and shocking thing. Uh, the high welcome and the high challenge of Jesus. All may come, but all may, must die. Ugh. That slaps right up against us, doesn't it? We all are welcomed by what Jesus accomplished for us through His life, death, and resurrection. But if we are going to follow Him, we all must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him. Wow! That creates in and of itself tension. And we don't like tension. Uh, so the first part of the problem, like I said, Christianity is not about you. And the second part is, when all we can see is ourselves, 
We cannot see God. Think about that. When all I, when all I can see is myself, I cannot see God. I'm distracted. I'm blinded by my self-interest. So Christianity is not about you, and when all we can see is ourselves, we cannot see God. Uh, Eugene Peterson drives this point home for us, like a nail, just like drives it really deeply here. He says, our ego bound... I'm going to read this twice because it's so good. There's a couple quotes today that I might have to read slowly because they're like, one's from George MacDonald, and if you know George MacDonald, you'll know why I have to read it kind of slowly. It's pretty Scottish. Anyway, <laughs> Eugene Peterson drives this point home for us. Our ego bound experience is too small a context in which to understand and experience what it means to believe in God and follow His ways. Our ego-bound experience, think about that phrase, our ego-bound experience, our experience of the world bound up in our ego, our wants, our, our, our perceived needs, our desires, our appetites. Our ego-bound experience is too small a context in which to understand and experience what it means to believe in God and follow His ways. So what do we need? Guys, we need constant reminding. I see that as a primary task I have as pastor is to be the reminder in chief. <laughs> to come up here every day and tell you things you already know. To remind you of these things. We need scripture to come. We need someone to snap their fingers in front of our face and awaken us from our selfish stupor. Our preoccupation with ourself. Like Annie Dillard says, uh, every day it's like we get out of bed and say good morning to ourselves. It's like we're reintroducing ourselves every day all the time to ourselves. We're just kind of preoccupied here and now. Thankfully, throughout Scripture, we find these desperately needed reminders. Scattered throughout the Bible, we come across uh, short bursts of praise. Short bursts of praise, or these little brief songs of praise. You know what the, the fancy pants word for song of praise or burst of praise is in the Bible? Doxology. Yes, doxology. We find these doxologies, these short bursts of praise, uh, sometimes they're at the end of prayers, and sometimes with Paul, they just kind of like burst out of nowhere. He's just like, you know, this and that. Well, you know, women wear hats in church, blah, blah, blah. And, Blessed be the God of our Father, Jesus. You know, <laughs> it's like, wow. That was unexpected, but it's there. And I'm so thankful because they snap their fingers. They, they wave the smelling salts and like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on? Oh, God is there and God is to be glorified. So these doxologies, they show up. And these doxologies, they serve two purposes. They serve two purposes. One, as we said, it's to praise and glorify God. And secondly, it's to awake and reorient us, thankfully. It directs our praise to God, and in doing so, it awakens us, it reorients us like, oh yes, it's about the Creator. It's about our Creator and our Sustainer, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm glad it's not about me. In my moments of clarity, I'm so thankful that it's not based on me. It's not based on my satisfaction. It's based on God. It's based on Christ. So doxologies, they help us get our attention off of ourselves and back where it should be, back on our Creator. Um, while I don't usually pull quotes from uh, internet sources like Quora.com, they actually had a, it's kind of an open source like question and answer forum, but they actually had a really good definition of what a doxology is. I looked at different sources and I strangely like this one the best, but a doxology is an expression of praise to God. 
especially a short hymn sung as part of a Christian worship service. The word doxology comes from the Greek doxa, which means glory, splendor, or grandeur, and logos, which means word or speaking. Most doxologies are short hymns of praise to God in various Christian worship services, often added to the end of canticles, psalms, and hymns. So, our personal spiritual habits practice, uh, our, our personal spiritual habits, our, our practices of prayer, of scripture and worship, they help then create space. They create the necessary context for this daily remembering, for us being able to live a certain sort of doxology in our day-to-day -day life. Yeah, our day-to-day -day life can be punctuated with these short bursts of praise, is these kind of doxologies. Does anyone ever, I think Heather called them arrow prayers, <laughs> you know? It's like we, we just, oh, is that Donna? Donna said that and then, yeah, anyway. You just have a moment where you're like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness in this. Or, or, or thank you for uh, you being present even when I wasn't paying attention. You're so good to me. Do you ever have those moments? Or you just have this like swelling of thankfulness. Yeah, we're living a doxology, and we are to live more and more into those doxological moments. As we reach the end of our exploration of the Lord's Prayer that we find in Matthew chapter 6, we come to an enigmatic, uh, somewhat controversial phrase or an addition to the passage. So let's jump into, uh, this is where people who have an actual Bible in their hand are going to be at an advantage, okay? Just heads up. Matthew chapter 6. Let's read the, Lord prayer. Je the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Does anyone else get to the end of me reading that passage and you kind of want to go right into that for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory? But it's not there. It's not there. What's up with that? Why, why isn't that fancy special part at the end not there? Well, the beloved doxology that we recite at the end of the Lord's Prayer, uh, that, that, that is historically associated with that prayer that Jesus taught us, is probably not included in your Bible that you're reading right now. Does anybody have that printed in their Bible as part of the text? Really? Okay. Must be the message. All right. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, the King James has it? Okay. All right. The, that phrase, the for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever, amen part, it is usually there, but it's only included as a footnote in most translations. Does your Bible have, as, have it as a footnote down at the bottom of the page? Mine does. Uh, why is this? Why is this? Well, the short answer, unhelpfully, is I'm not sure. But the longer, more researched answer is this. Uh, it has to do with early versus late manuscripts. Uh, the, 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 writing, the earliest uh, copies of, of Scripture, of the books of the Bible. Uh, the early ones uh, don't have it, the older ones do have it. So it's about early and late manuscripts uh, of Matthew's Gospel, and uh, it's also associated with uh, the history of the Judaic and the Christian traditions. Okay, According to uh, um, the internet, uh, in the early church, it's EWTN, Eternal Word, television network. Um, 
In the early church, Christians living in the eastern half of the Roman Empire added the doxology, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever, to the gospel text of, of the Our Father when reciting the prayer. Evidence of this practice is also found in the Didac, or the Teaching of the Twelve Apostles, a first century manual of morals, worship, and doctrine for the church. Also, when copying the scriptures, Greek scribes sometimes appended the doxology into the original gospel text of the Our Father. However, most texts today would omit this inclusion and relegate it to a footnote or a note that uh, a note that it was a later addition to the gospel. So does that clear it right up? Maybe? Maybe not? Okay, so that's a little bit tricky, huh? But here's the thing, the doxology is there. It is there, um, whether or not it's in the text or whether or not it's there as a footnote, here's what we know, Christians have recited it as part of the Lord's Prayer for a very, very long time. So what does that tell us? been part of the practice of our faith. It's part of us reciting and remembering that prayer which Jesus taught us. And more than that, it's teaching us and reminding us something about God. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. Yes. Amen. And so shall it be. So here's what we know. Of this we can be sure. Jesus understood our propensity to make everything, even God and His activity in creation, about us, really centered around our needs, our felt needs. We can take the grand narrative of creation in the fall, of sin and salvation, and bend it inward toward our appetites. We can take the life in Christ and we can make it about comfort. We can really make it fundamentally about us living our best life now. And that, guys, is to wildly, wildly miss the point and to reduce the gospel down to something meaningless and insignificant. If it's about me, we can turn it into being about all us. It is no surprise, then, that the people gathered around Jesus on that day uh, in Matthew chapter 6, and that we need to be reminded so often. We have this bent, and Jesus comes to correct that. So, whether or not Jesus actually said the doxology in the context of the Lord's Prayer or not, or if it was added later by His disciples, or the, uh, we do know this, the, uh, the idea and the intention of redirecting our, our, our focus upon God and His glory is everywhere throughout the Bible. This idea, this activity, shows up over and over again. That is not new or novel in Scripture. In fact, most agree that this doxology that's been uh, connected to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 uh, is borrowed from King David's prayer of praise at the temple we read about in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. So you can turn left and go way back in your Bible into the Old Testament. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Let's read verses 10 through 13 and see if you notice any similar phrasing or similar themes here. Start in uh, verse 10, go through 13 for now. 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 10. Then David praised the Lord, the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel... 
May you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. Did you hear it? The same themes. It's all yours, God. Remind us. Show us this. Call us back to this truth. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. So the rhythms and the emphases that we find in, in David's prayer, they inform, yes, but they also correspond with the, that doxology we're familiar with that's associated with the Lord's Prayer. So, what is the important part here? What is it important that we not miss? I believe it's this. Whatever you may think of the, for thine is the kingdom of power and the glory forever, amen, or, or whether or not it's part of the uh, earliest manuscripts, the content, we can be sure, the content of the doxology is no doubt biblical. There's no doubt about this. The content of that doxology is emblematic of what Scripture is all about, of what Jesus himself consistently taught. The doxology would be different if it came out of, the, out of the blue and just said some weird things that didn't really line up with the rest of Scripture. But in a way, this doxology we find in the later manuscripts really captures a lot of the consistent thought of Scripture, Old Testament and New. It is so vital for us to have Jesus' prayer begin and end with our attention being centered on our Maker. Jesus knows this, so He begins and then we end with our attention being drawn back to the source, to God our Maker, the one who gives and sustains life. If you recall, in our time studying that Lord's Prayer, the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer in verses 9 and 10, they have to do with who? Us or God? God. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first three petitions are asking that God would be more and more present in this space. So it starts with God. Um, his name kept holy, his kingdom come, his will be done. Then Jesus actually invites us to lay out our needs before God. That we would say, God, here's the things we need, believing that you're attentive and that you respond, that you care. Jesus says, and then ask these things of your Father, your good Father. He says, ask. Lay out your needs before God. Ask for your bread, uh, the sustenance of your body. Ask for forgiveness, the sustenance of our souls. And ask for uh, freedom from temptations, which is the sustenance of our minds. And that's in verses 11 through 13 of the Lord's Prayer. So what this tells us, what this tells me, is that God matters, and shockingly, we matter too. That in that same prayer, uh, God doesn't say it's, or Jesus doesn't say it's all about God, stop your whining. He's like, no, you have an important part to play. You are part of this whole relationship. You are part of this whole idea that God has in reconciling creation. He's like, yeah, God matters, but you matter too. You matter too. You have a part to play in this. 
God matters to us and we matter to God. There is an intimacy in the interplay between the Creator and the created, be between Yahweh and mankind. So we're valuable. We're valuable that we would be invited into a prayer, not just to worship and adore God, but also to say, and I need this. If I don't, if I don't have you, I don't have anything, God. I need you. There is a, a centripetal dynamic. Does anyone know what centrifugal does? Centrifugal dynamics do? Throws things out from the center, right? A centripetal dynamic or a centripetal pull does what? Pulls it toward the center. Okay, so there's this centripetal dynamic in the with God life that draws everything necessarily back to the center. Because why? God is our source. God is our beginning. And we do well to remember this and to recall this often. We need to be drawn back to the center. We need to be drawn back to the source and reminded of who we are and why we are and who is responsible for that. Who is responsible for not just creating but also sustaining. I love how George MacDonald, all right, hold on, here we go. George MacDonald, the Scottish poet, author, and uh, pastor, I love how he brings this thought to life, that everything is drawn back to its source. Everything is brought back to the center. He says this now. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to have a Scottish accent, but it is pretty rough. Hold on. Listen closely. <laughs> Lean forward if you need to. Every highest human act is just a giving back to God of that which he first gave to us. Every highest human act is just a giving back to God of that which he first gave to us. Thou God hast given me, here again is thy gift. I send my spirit home. Every act of worship is a holding up to God of what God hath made us. Here God, look what I have got. Feel with me in what thou hast made me. In this thy own bounty my being. I am thy child, and know not how to thank thee, save by uplifting the overflowing of thy life, and calling aloud, It is thine, it is mine, I am thine, and therefore I am mine. The vast operations, listen to this, the vast operations of the spiritual, as of the physical world, are simply a turning again to the source. Does anyone else think that's awesome? George! The vast operations of the spiritual, as of the, uh, as of the physical world, are simply a turning again to the source. It all leads back to God. It ought to and it must. It leads back to God as our creator, as our source. Again, we are recalled to 1 Chronicles 29 as King David continues his prayer of praise in verses 14 through 16, and he surprise, makes the same connection. Look back to 1 Chronicles 29 again. Look at verses uh, 14 through 16. But who am I? And who are my people that we could give anything to you, God? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone as soon as gone so soon without a trace. O oh Lord our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name, it comes from you. It all belongs to you. 
Do you get that connection? What George MacDonald was pointing out in the, in the you know, centuries later, King David points it out. It's like, man, we're offering you all this stuff, all this like valuable, meaningful stuff that we've gathered together, but in the end, it's just your stuff. We're offering your stuff back to you. My entire life, it's yours. The stuff we're gathering to build this wonderful temple to honor you, to worship you, it comes from you anyway. It all leads back to you. So ours is to rightly remember that, to turn it all back and offer it back to God. God enjoys that relationship with us. He loves it when we remember and when we turn and we reorient ourselves in creation. It all goes back to God. So what should we learn from this? What should we learn from all this time we've spent studying the Lord's Prayer? Here's my takeaway. We should learn of God's glory we should learn of God's goodness. We should learn of God's kindness. And we should learn of God's provision, for sure. Those are things we should not miss as we immerse ourselves in the Lord's Prayer. But we should also learn of His absolute priority in the universe. That God is the absolute priority in all the universe. He is the foundational presence in our life. He is the primary, the first thing in who we are. So perhaps we need that reminder today. That this very doxology, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. This doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer, it would get our attention today. That it would get our attention today once again. That it would draw our attention, it would bring our focus back to where it begins and where it ends in God. For His is the kingdom. For His is the power. For His is the glory. It belongs to our Father forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, remind our hearts. Help us step away from the distractions, those distractions that come from without and those distractions that come from within. God, may we this morning, uh, maybe for the first time in a long time, hear that voice calling us back to worship. Calling us back to remember that it's all about You. You are our Creator. You are our Sustainer. You are the author. You are the finisher of our faith. That it all begins and ends in you. God, may we be drawn back to that center. May we be drawn back to that truth. God, forgive us of the times when we've uh, put you in service to ourself. Forgive us of the times when we've made all that Jesus has come to accomplish through his life, death, resurrection, burial, and ascension about me and my pleasure, my comfort. God, I repent of that. I pray that we would all repent of that, that we would lay in sackcloth and ashes over our self-absorption, over the idolatry of self. God, come and smash that idol in my life. Like Dagon in the temple, God, make it fall flat, make it, make it break to pieces. Lord, you are the foundational truth in my life. You are the primary source in who I am in any of us, in our church. God, may we be first and foremost a remembering people, a people who remember who we are because of what Jesus has accomplished and of what you have done out of a willing heart, out of joy in creation, that you've abided with us and that it's leading all to new creation. You will not stop until we're at home with you, that your dwelling place is with your people, and that it's all healed, and that we're no longer tangled up 
in that lie we've been believing since the garden. So God, may every day resound with that doxology for us. May everything we do uh, uh, resound with yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, forever and ever, amen. And when we need it the most, may we be reminded, may that resonate and call us back. Lord, may we live a doxology to you because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, I pray for my friends here that maybe have felt distracted. Maybe they felt tangled up in, in their self-interest and their self-absorption. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and cut those cords, cut those things that bind them, help them see clearly just for a moment, and that they would want to desire that they would desire that even more. That they would see you for who you are, that Jesus is greater, and that our life finds its fullest meaning and purpose in Him and in Him alone. God, plant our feet in that truth today, we ask. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we're going to worship a bit. And this is a time to sit with the Lord, okay? This is a time to be honest about where you've been, about maybe how distracted you've been, how entangled and called aside you've been by self-interest or other, other uh, competing forces in the world. That centripetal force is at work right now, calling you back, inviting you back to the center, to come back to the God who made you, who even now sustains you, who has forgiven you and has healed you in Christ Jesus. Sit with the Lord. If you'd like to pray with somebody, I'm going to go to the back and I'd love to, to pray with you. Here's the thing. Make the most of this opportunity.